listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Fret Files podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your guitar scientist with just decades of experience building and repairing guitars. This is a podcast about guitar repair, guitar building, guitar news, guitar science, guitar opinions, all kinds of guitar stuff. Sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. This is a question and answer episode where we respond to listener-submitted emails and calls. I will read the questions, and Eric will try to answer them. I'll try. We've got questions uh, about pore filling, questions about pickups, questions about binding, questions about babies. Oh, Oh, yeah, we're giving parenting advice. Neato. We can't help it. We're professionals in so many areas. I wouldn't say that. I don't (laughs) think there are any professional parents. Yeah, well. uh, But things things have been crazy around here, I gotta say. It's been insane. First of all, we're just a little bit under the weather. And so we're just feeling ground down and Mm -hmm. stressed out. But Mm -hmm. everything's okay. I have been insanely busy in the shop. And I can only chalk it up to... There's a few things that have happened. By the way, if you're thinking about sending me a repair or a project in October, maybe uh, maybe hold off. Maybe check with me in November. Um, a few things happened. We passed a hundred thousand downloads. No way. On our yeah, th- and that is just since we switched over to the new website. Wow. And that's just downloads. That's not embedded plays. On the embedded player. Wow. It's huge. And the podcast, the the numbers are way up. Rad. Yeah. So that has m- meant more business for me. Mm-hmm. I posted a video about, about how to string, how to put a string on a guitar. I mean, <laughs> I was just bored and I couldn't think of what to post on Instagram. Uh-huh. And so I made a quick little video on Instagram, how to put a string on a guitar. Almost 50,000 views. It went viral. It went nuts. Wow. And so this has just been a busy time. Here's the other thing that happened. And this is the most, probably the biggest factor in why I've been getting so many calls and emails and so much business. I found out, and I don't know when this happened, but if you Google, if you Google search guitar repair prices, my website price chart is the first thing that pops up. Wow. Yeah, Google decided as a featured snippet that that was going that's the most pertinent information on the entire World Wide Web for that search. And so I was getting calls from all over the place for price quotes more so than usual. And a guy told me, he said, "Yeah, I just searched, you know, guitar repair prices and you're the first thing that came up, so I called you." Well, so it's been crazy. That's that's my story. Uh, well, what what's on your bench? That's, what are you working on? That's what's been on my bench. Just everything. We have so much to get through that I don't even want to go into it. Okay, bye. We have a we have, <laughs> we, have, we have three pages of emails, and we have several calls. Oh, Should I thought we, you were going to say seven. Several. I don't know how many. Several. Okay. Shall we? Yep. Let's see if I can make this work here. Hi, Eric. Hi, Melissa. This is Ben from uh, the UK. 
Um, I just was listening to your latest episode, and I heard that you're homeschooling your kids. Um, I do the same with mine, and this weekend, me and my seven-year-old um, stripped the finish, the thick, thick finish, off my 90s um, Mexican telly, and uh, we whacked it and put it back together, and it sounds great. It's made a big difference to the, to the tone of the thing and the feel of it. Um, but my question is, the pickups that are in there are waxed um, with quite a lot of wax. I was wondering if you know a way to remove the wax, because I would ideally I'd like the pickups to become a bit microphonic, because that's all my favourite guitars have got microphonic pickups. I play, you know, old country and blues and stuff. And um, yeah, I know some people kind of melt the wax with a hairdryer. I just wondered if you had any tips or anything like that. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. And um, if you can help me and my son work out how to take the wax off these pickups. Yeah. We'd be very grateful as we listen to your podcast in the car when we're driving around. Um, yeah. Cheers and speak to you again. Cheers. Bye. Cheers to you, sir. Thank you. I have a couple thoughts about this here. First of all, I never really thought about it, but for someone in the UK, is a Mexican Telecaster like an, like an exotic thing? To, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because in the US... Like the Mexican stuff is looked down on a little bit because it's cheaper. It's more. It's a more affordable price point. It's not as high end, right. right? So, but it's also our neighboring country with whom we have um, sometimes uh, strained relations. Okay. So the the pers- am I mischaracterizing that? No, not at all. Uh, I'm trying to think of a of an, an analogy yeah. for it would be the like, UK. It would be like. A Moroccan Telecaster for the U.S. or something, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, that would be pretty exotic for us. Yeah, right? But f- for somebody in the U.K., they'd be like, oh, geez, he's Moroccan. <laughs> these Moroccan <laughs> tellies are awful. Or like an Irish Telecaster, they'd be like, oh, geez. You can't even get a good U.K. Telecaster. You've got to get settled for this Irish garbage. Okay. But tell me about microphonic pickups. Well, here's my other thought. I didn't know... That it was, I mean, I'm glad that it is legal to homeschool in the UK. Hmm. That's cool. I think probably in most first world countries, it's. Well, I don't. I only know about my home state. Well, I'll tell you. In the U.S., it depends on what state you're in. You have to jump through all kinds of hoops in yeah, some but states. It's always legal. Well, it's legal, but it's they make it hard. Oh yeah, not in Idaho. And there's you know, in some states, there's always like the 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 uh, constant threat of child protective services coming to take away your kids because you're not doing a good enough job. Right. <clears throat> Which happens. Are we going to talk about guitars yet? I'm sorry. Uh, yes. Thank you. I'm sorry. What was the question? <laughs> uh, to get the wax off of those pickups is not really... I mean, once once it's been impregnated with wax, you could probably get some of it out. But you're never going to make it like an unwaxed pickup. Mm-hmm. If you heat it up and then kind of, you know, s- squeeze on it a little bit with a uh, a paper towel, you could probably get a little bit of wax off, but it's really not going to do much for the tone. Uh, if you, it's, he said this is a Telecaster, am I right? I think so. I think so. so. On the bridge pickup, if it has an elevator plate, which is the metal base plate, Take that off and actually scrape the wax off between the uh, between the plate and the pickup itself. Scrape all that wax off and then just put the uh, put the plate back on the pickup. Um, sometimes, you know, I like to use just a little bit of double sided tape there so that it's it's loose, but there's a little bit of an of a barrier there, a little bit of a, a damper mm-hmm. because. If you just put that plate on a pickup loose, it's going to squeal, mm-hmm. like too much feedback. But if you scrape off all that wax, put a little double-sided, really thin double-sided tape on there, or just leave just enough wax so that there's just a tiny bit of wax, and then put the plate back on, heat it up with a soldering iron, some of that wax will melt. Mm-hmm. But if you do that, it will it'll bring back some of the liveliness of that bridge pickup, in my opinion. 
Cool. In my opinion. Uh, I like microphonic pickups, slightly microphonic pickups as well. And on a Tele Bridge pickup, that's one way to do it. That's one one trick to get it. So try that. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Ben. Oh, was it Ben? Thanks, Ben. I think it was Ben. All right. And if if you have any uh, homeschool tricks for me, Ben, let me know. Melissa's all ears. Continuing the international theme of the podcast here. Let's do it. Yeah. Hello, Eric. It's uh, Callum from New Zealand here. Hey, listen, I love your podcast, mate. It's um, it's absolutely fantastic. But there's something that's been that I've been wondering about. I just wanted to ask: in your experience, are there some repairs that you should not attempt to do unless you've got considerable experience fixing guitars? You know, if someone brought a guitar into your shop and they said they've done this sort of repair. What what, what sort of repairs would make you hold your breath and go, and then pause before giving them the news? Now, I know we've all got different skill levels, but just some guidelines for (laughs) things to not do and get yourself in a hole. Cheers, mate. Keep up the good work. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you got to know your limits. Mm -hmm. And that's just, um, that's going to be on an individual level. There's, There's certain repairs that I will turn down that other repair guys are, are specialists in, you know? So um, it just depends on your limits, uh, and you have to just be comfortable with that. I have no problem telling someone, I'm sorry, but I won't do this repair. And it, if it's something that just makes my palms sweat, and that's that's a good indication for me, you know, it's if it's something that just makes me, like, if you know, I, it's a gut check thing, you know? So, there, but... Aside from that, I have a few general guidelines that I personally um, follow. For example, I won't work on banjos, mandolins, or ukuleles. Um, Mostly just because I'm so busy with guitars that I don't want to mess with that stuff, but also because they're they're just slightly different, and it's not my specialty, and I don't want to mess with them. Uh, Especially banjos. Banjos are different enough in construction that... And I just don't know enough about them, and I don't want to. Mm-hmm. So I just refer those to other people. Uh, the other thing I won't do is like really inexpensive guitars that acoustic guitars that need neck resets, like Asian-made mm-hmm. guitars that need neck resets. Because first of all, I don't know what I don't know what kind of neck joint they have. I don't even know how to get those off. And even if I did we're going to exceed the value of the instrument there. So I don't know. Those are some of my general guidelines. I don't know if that pertains to what he, what his question was really, but you just have to know your own limits, have your specialties and know your own limits and don't get out too far into the weeds. There you go. Do we have more calls? Yeah. Let's see if this one is from, uh, this one's from the moon. (laughs) No. Oh, this is, ah, here we go. Whoops, I forgot to say hello to Melissa as well. Apologies. That's it. He he wanted to say hello to you. He forgot to say hello to you. Well, hi. Isn't that nice? That is nice. Hey, Eric. Hey, Melissa. Uh, Love the show. Thanks for keeping it going. Uh, This is Marcus from Bainbridge Island. Uh, I got a question for you here about chasing some tone on a Telecaster. I got a custom shop uh, Fender Tele here. And I was A-Bing it against uh, my buddies has a uh, a Nash Tele with the Lawlers in it. And so I really like how the Lawlers, they can, you can roll this tone down and get this really great sort of arch-top tone happening through it. So it's kind of like now it's my quest to like capture that. And obviously the first thing I'm going to do is get the same Lawler pickups and put them in here. But I had a few other questions too. Um the nuts are different. The, the nut on mine is bone, and the nut on the Nash has the um, Graftech tusk. And so, curious of what is your opinion? I know you love the bone nut, and um, so if you're fretting a guitar and you're up the neck, how much tone impact does the nut have, if any? I mean, theoretically, it's out of the equation at that point. Curious to hear your thoughts on that. The other one is... Um, you know, brand of pots. Do brand of pots make a difference? I mean, I assume they're just kind of all CTS, but maybe you have some uh, thoughts about that. And uh, one last question here. Um, 
So I'm into flipping the control plate on a telly. And I wonder if you've ever seen this or ever done this, or is this something that you could make? Um, if you flip the tele control plate, um, but you had a plate that wasn't drilled out yet, have you ever seen anyone offset the middle tone knob? Um, well, in this case, it would be the volume if it's set up standard, uh, but it's the middle unit of the control plate because it's right up against that switch. And so sometimes when uh, we're losing, uh, you have we're losing Marcus the back of your guitar. It's like right up against there. Um, and so I wonder if you've ever... I'll, I'll wrap this up for you. So, the no, I've never seen anybody move the middle knob, but um, why not? If that's what you want to do, great. Right? Yeah. He, he He's into flipping the plate. Do you know what that... Yep. Do you know what he's talking about? Yep. So a lot of players feel like that switch should be where the tone knob is. Right. And the volume knob should be where the switch is. So then that middle knob is right up against something? Well, the middle knob is in between the switch and well, but the other knob. It's pretty well centered. He's he's I guess feeling like maybe it's a little bit too close to the other knob or something. I don't I don't know. It what do whatever you want to do on this it's not going to change the temperature of my house in in any You know what I mean? Which is quite high at the moment. Yeah, we started a fire. That's why I was thinking that. <laughs> I'm like I'm in a sweat. It's, it's like, like it's 115 degrees. degrees. <laughs> That, that that stove is very efficient. Yeah. I gotta say. Anyway, tell us about uh, the effect of nut material on yeah. tone. Um, you, so let me help you dial this in, dude. He's comparing his telly to his buddies. He says when he rolls the tone down, he's able to get this cool archtop tone on his buddy's telly. Mm-hmm. So it's not the nut. It's not the brand of pot. It's the tone cap. That's my opinion. Oh, snap. Find out what tone cap is in your buddy's telly and get that same value, not necessarily the same make or or, or mm-hmm. composition, but I know a lot of, um, like, Jason Lawler's favorite uh, tone cap is a .015. It also happens to be mine. Uh, and it's kind of an unusual thing to find in a guitar. They're usually .022 or .03 or .05 or .047. These are all pretty high. The .05, .047, those mm-hmm. are, that rolls off a ton of treble, and you end up with this mud sound. What do you put in your own guitars? I like .015. Hmm. And you put those in the pin- in your pinups? Typically. I have one customer, I won't say who, who's, but he's so deaf that, when he rolls the tone down, he can't hear the difference when I put a point oh one five cap oh. in. So I have to put a I have to put a higher value cap in there for him. Well but, hopefully uh, he's listening. He can't hear. <laughs> uh, but what I would recommend to you would be to check your tone cap and your buddy's tone cap. I bet you anything he's got a point oh one five cap and you have like a point oh two two or a point oh four seven or something. Put a lower value tone cap in there and you'll get much more usable tone as you roll the tone knob down. A .015 um, doesn't bleed off as much treble. You don't lose as much treble. It's just a very nice usable thing where like a, a higher value, like a .047, it rolls off so much treble that it's just unusable past mm. about five to my ears. Interesting. And his question about the nut, yeah, nut, it makes a tone difference. When you're fretting, not so much, because it it is out of the equation, you know? Right. So, anyhow. One more call? One, one more. Hi, this is Oh, Marcus it's the same Bainbridge guy. Here. Quick follow-up on my last call. Eric, I wonder if you can explain... Um, your so you have a five-way switch with a special wiring kind of thing that you've done, and I've played a few of your guitars at Emerald City that have that. Um, I wonder if you could talk to me about each position um, on your five-way switch for a Telecaster, um, and I think one of them is series and one of them is parallel, and is one of those uh, terms synonymous with like having the out-of-phase tone, um, or maybe you can run through that um, when you talk about um, when you wire your switch. Um, also, I noticed on the Lawler website that um, there's the option for a third wire coming off of those tele pickups. 
in order to wire it, what they're talking about as a four-way switch. Um, so maybe you could just comment on that. Um, and do, is that something that you, if somebody sends you pickups to have you wire it your special way, do you add that extra wire, or do you need it to come um, stock from the factory that way? Thanks. Yeah, the extra wire is to lift the ground from the cover. So if you're going to use a, a switch that enables you to get series, you have to have that wire and um, that can be added, or it can come from the factory that way. It's e- That's an easy mod, no big deal. Uh, on that five-way switch I use in Telecaster's style guitars, there's, there's the one, the famous one that you look up online, the five-way tone mod for tellies. Uh, there, there's five positions, so the, there's the three same as every telly, mm-hmm. right? Bridge, both, neck. neck. The two extra on the standard five-way telly switch mod is one is series, so that's a humbucker sound, and then the other one is out of phase, so that's truly out of phase, a really nasal sounding tone. Mm-hmm. I never use that series setting the humbucker setting because i'm not really a humbucker guy that's not for me so i redesigned that so that instead of the humbucker setting you have another out of phase tone so my five-way tele uh, switch mod is two extra out of phase tones one is truly out of phase very very different sound um uh very nasal um, not much low end to it. The other out of phase setting on that switch, there's a capacitor in between the pickups. Well, they're wired in series, but there's a capacitor in there to filter out um, or to only let certain frequencies come from one pickup to the other. Basically, what it does is it simulates that in between sound on a strat. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that's the. That's the quick and dirty explanation. It's the magic thing. Yeah, that is, that is the deal. Thanks for the call, or the calls. Thanks for the calls. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Thank you for a great show. Been watching the Ken Burns country documentary on PBS, and I love it. In the film, several guitar players wear a guitar strap, not like the regular ones attached to the guitar to buttons, but some sort of sling strap of leather, probably, where the guitar rests in the strap. The lower shoulder of the instrument is tucked in and seems to rest quite comfortably in it. I haven't found them anywhere for sale, so I figured maybe Melissa could make them for sure. One more thing. Is it possible to do a neck set on a Rickenbacker electric? Thanks for the great podcast. Cheers. From uh, Finland. From Finland. I can't pronounce your name. I'm not even going to try. It can't be anything other than Pecky, can it? P-E-K-I. How else could you say that? Pecky? Pecky? Pecky Jansen from Finland. Peggy. Thank you. Uh, Can you do a neck reset on a Rickenbacker electric? No. Almost every one of them that I've seen, the neck, they're what's called a through body design so the neck continues on through the body and the sides of the body are basically like wings that are glued on hmm cool that's almost every rickenbacker but not i don't don't know if every one of them but so you can't really do a neck set on those did you say rickenbacker i say both i say rickenbacker i say rickenbacker i say uh rick i say ricky ricky and uh, as for leather slings for guitars, yeah, I probably could make that, but I'm not going to. She's not going to. She's not taking custom orders. Here's the deal. Can oh, we clear yeah. the air? Let's clear can, the air. Can we clear this That's up? That's a good thing. Do you still make straps? I make straps. I accept orders on my website right now. Anything on my website can be ordered, made to order right now. So anything that you already have designed and in production on your website can be ordered. You that can, is correct. You can, you can go to melcoleather.com. You can order one of those straps. That is correct. What you don't do 
I do not take orders where I have to do the artwork right now because I don't have the energy or the time right. to do it. Yeah. So I'm sure that whatever you're thinking of would be awesome. And talk to me about it. I don't know if it inspires me. Then it then maybe I can do it. You know, but this is this is a way for you to filter out some of it because you've been so busy right. and now you're trying to dial that back. Right. Yeah, that's all. That's right. So if you really, really, really want me to make your custom strap, email me. You never know. I might feel like it that one day. <laughs> but yeah, just email me. But everything on my website is ready to order. You can still buy one of my straps that is designed and already designed. That's that's the main point. Thank you, Becky. Yes, thank you. Hello, Eric and Melissa. Love to you and yours. I have three questions for you today. Great. Number one, I got a customer who provided some Greco PAF pickups and I installed them in a faded SG. It was one of those 2011 PCB things that I know you would approve that's, of. That stands for printed circuit board. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh, it has those two-pin quick-connect plugs, so I cut the old pickup leads and soldered the replacement pickup leads to the quick-connect. I brought the guitar to the owner, plugged it into his rig, and we noticed a little bit of noise. Not terrible, but definitely a hum. The hum went away when, t- when touching the pickup cover. Do you have experience with these Gibson PCBs? Are they wired differently? Is it possible for humbuckers to still produce hum? Am I a bad guitar tech? (laughs) Well, let's take these one at a time. Okay. If the noise went away when you touched the cover, then for some reason the cover is not being grounded. So uh, you need to figure out why. So um, if if it's braided wire, then I would solder the braid to the back of the pot or... If it's, you know, four conductor wire, there's a bare wire. That bare needs to be soldered to ground some somewhere. So for some reason, the uh, the pickup cover isn't grounded. That's your problem if that's what's going on. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Question number two from Dave. I just had a baby. Not me. Dave just had a baby. Oh, right. Yeah. God, I was like, <laughs> how did I miss that? He says, it is awesome. She can't move on her own yet, but it's just a matter of time. Oh, yes, it is, Dave. Uh, we have a modest apartment, and I do all my teching in our spare bedroom, which is right next to the baby room. You have kids. I do. Is there anything you have done to baby-proof or kid-proof your tech area? Have your kids ever gotten into your tools or chemicals? Anything I could learn from your past experiences? Yes. We keep our kids on a tether, and they are strapped to... Uh, you know those like corkscrew things you put in the ground for dogs right they're on a tether (laughs) out in the yard no uh i do actually i do have a tip for this when our children were quite small we bought one of those i don't know how to describe it other than to say it's like a corral like a a pack and oh like like a baby corral yeah it has sections like uh, like three foot wide plastic sections of little gate and they all click together and we bought we bought two packs of them so we could click them all together and have a giant yeah you know it's a baby gate play area yeah it's 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 a it's like a playpen right but it folds all up and collapses you know and you can put it behind your couch but you open it all up and it's a big area and it's modular so you can kind of you know, shape it around stuff mm-hmm. or put it in whatever shape you want and uh, throw a bunch of toys in there, maybe a cheese stick, and your yeah. baby's happy. And here's the thing. Your baby can't get out of it. That's right. Unless your baby is Houdini, your baby cannot get out of that thing. The other thing that we did, so that was just in our living room. We've always had a separate shop from our house. We've never had a shop inside the house. That's but right. we have had the kids come out with us when we needed to work. And for a while, when our oldest was very, very young, we just had a pack and play that we would stick him in with a bunch of toys and a cheese stick, and he was happy in there. A pack and play is what I would call a, a crib. That's what we used to call a little... Uh, it's like a folding crib. Like a folding crib. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and nowadays, we just keep the kids out of the shop unless they're supervised. Yeah. But they're old enough to know. Yeah. Not to get into stuff. Uh, the other thing I'd say is don't give your baby a cheese stick until she's ready, okay? 
Thanks, Dave. <clears throat> Thanks, oh, Dave. Question number oh. three. Question number three. What's up, Melissa? There you go. Thanks. Everybody's Melissa's best friend. I Did you know that? And everybody's best friend. She's the star of the friend. show. You know, when we were feeling kind of yucky, I know I knew you weren't up to doing the podcast, and just for a split second, I thought, I'll just do it by myself. And then I re- realized, no one will listen. They'll they'll get five minutes in, and they'll think, ugh, this is... This is excruciating. You only see the people that write in, though. You know? Yeah. And only the people that write in ever say, the, the you know, you, there's like three quarters of our listeners we've never heard from. And I feel like most people just listen to this podcast for the guitar stuff. So I appreciate it that everybody likes yeah, me. and that's true, but the host needs to be listenable. And me, by myself, I'm not as listenable as as it is with the two of us. Well, that's good. Also, if you can hear our child crying in the background, you can see we're really not that great of parents. We just, <laughs> we just let our children cry while we do a podcast. So They're supposed to be sleeping. Uh, okay. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Great show. I have a cool old Oscar Schmidt Stella needing a neck reset and fret work. Uh, the board is all wavy and, oh, fret board work. The board is all wavy and someone has taken the frets down to nothing where it steps over the body. Can you help me decide whether either to have someone attempt to save the toilet seat board and refret or replace the whole thing with a nice slab of ebony and maybe have the same position markers carved into it. <clears throat> Being quite high-end for an Oscar Schmidt, I am torn between originality and playability. What to do? Thanks, Andrew in the UK. Well, Andrew, all I can tell you is what I would do. I don't know what I don't know what the right thing to do is. You could you could go either way on that. Um, but uh, I've done this before, and the several times that I've done it, I've always opted to replace the fingerboard. Um, I I hate to do that, but that old, you know, thirties forties, uh, mother of toilet seat fingerboard stuff is just it's always curling up and falling apart the frets are always terrible and then underneath that um every time i've seen this underneath that perloid is kind of a a subpar fingerboard wood you know it's usually like i don't even know you know it's, it's like pear or some weird like birch or something. It's not. It's not rosewood. It's not ebony. It's right. not maple. It's usually some kind of substandard wood. So, um, as much as I hate to lose the look of that cool old perloid fingerboard, it's really not. Um, it, it's really not worth saving in because of playability. So uh, what I have done on these is put a nice ebony fingerboard on there. And, uh, ref- you know, refret new fingerboard. And while you've got that off, you can put a, uh, a reinforcement rod down there because it probably doesn't have one. Hmm. Cool. Thanks, Andrew. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. If you're at all curious about my guitar repair services or my custom guitars, you can check out my websites, ericdaw.com. That's more the repair side of things. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. I would love to help you with that tricky repair or restoration. You know, maybe you don't have somebody in your area, or maybe you've got a very valuable guitar that you don't want to trust to just anybody. And the guitars that I make are at pinupcustomguitars.com. That's pinup, like pinup girl, P-I-N-U-P. I offer worldwide service uh, on repairs. People send me repairs from all over the country and, uh, well, even internationally. And I definitely send guitars all over the world. So if you're curious about what I do and want to learn more, that's how to check it out. ericdaw.com and pinupcustomguitars.com. Hey, guitar nerds. You probably already know that I make custom leather guitar straps. All of my straps are handcrafted from design all the way to completion. You can see examples of my past work on my Instagram account. That's at Melco Leather. Visit MelcoLeather.com now to get free shipping on orders of $35 or more within the U.S. That's MelcoLeather.com. M-E-L-C-O Leather.com. 
Hi guys, I am about to build my first two guitars from kits. One Martin Dreadnought and the other a Stumac SG. Outside of the obvious, one needing precision gluing, the other clean soldering, it seems to me that there is a different level of skill needed in finishing the two, and that the finishing is less critical on the SG. Where worst case, you can always just sand it and repaint it with minimum bad effects, whereas stripping and or sanding the finish on the acoustic can do much more damage on the fragile acoustic. Uh, how else is the finishing process different? Second, is there any reason other than looks to worry about filling in micropores on an acoustic? It seems to me that taking all the time to make the guitar smooth has zero benefits for tone and in my beginner case could hurt things. Why not just a very thin sealer? And lastly, I heard on another podcast, so, sorry, you're my favorite, but not the only one, that the great archtop builder John Ziedler uh, would lacquer the inside of his guitars as well as the outside in order to better protect the guitar from humidity issues. I haven't heard of anyone else doing it. Your thoughts on that? Thanks, Ty. Thank you, Ty. He's got a few questions here. Um, how can I s distill this down into its essence? How is the finishing process different on an SG versus on an acoustic? Well, you know, you're probably going to use a, a solid color on the SG or maybe, you know, that cherry, mm -hmm. like a clear or transparent cherry. Right. The acoustic, probably just clear, maybe some stain. But, um, you know, they're pretty similar. I, I, in my opinion, they're pretty similar. Uh, and on pour filling, um, I like to do, I like to pour fill. I, I'm assuming you've got mahogany there if you're considering pour filling, because I don't know what else you would have that would need pour fill. Um, so yeah, uh, I mean, because the top won't need any filler. If you had rosewood back in sides, that wouldn't need any filler. So I'm assuming you've got mahogany, um, the the filler just makes it look nice and uh, gives you a nice gives you a cleaner finish. You can and and a lot of makers do a lot of people do this. They will um, just do thin coats like wash coats and then sand a little bit and then another wash coat and sand a little bit and basically what that does is it fills up those pores with lacquer. Right. But it never really. I mean. It never really fully f fills the pores. It just lessens the effect of, of uh, the pores if you sand a little bit. Uh, you'd have to do a pretty thick finish to f fully fill the pores with with just paint. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm I I would pore fill it. I think it gives a nicer look. It's good practice, which really is what you're what you're going for here, isn't it? I mean, the right. whole once you get a project like this, once you get it done, it's like well, there you know it's. There it is, but you gotta you gotta enjoy the process. You gotta take the time and have fun and learn things along the way. You know, relish the process. If you're just in a hurry to get these done and you don't want to pour fill it because of that, then you're kind of missing out on part of the the point of doing a kit guitar. I think. Savor it, Ty. Yeah, that's all. Uh, lastly, he heard lacquer inside of guitars. Uh. I've seen this done on some Asian-made instruments, like, you know, not not junky guitars either, like some nice Alvarez Yari guitars. They lacquer the inside as well. Um, I think that it changes the tone a lot, and uh, I wouldn't recommend it. There you go. Yeah. Thanks, Ty. You know, if Martin and Gibson don't do it on their world-class acoustic guitars, then... Why, you know, why would, why would you do that? Right. Uh, hey, Eric, I have a 2001 Martin D35 that has always been out and played regularly. I noticed that the binding around the back is coming loose right at the waist of the body, about an inch or so, not completely separating yet, but enough to raise concern. A, what is the best remedy for reattaching? B, what would be the likely cause? Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. I mean, not to be obvious, but the cause is glue failure. I mean, you know, right. but um, wood shrinks and expands, and the plastic doesn't as much, so uh, it 
is going to start pulling away at the tightest curve there, which is, you know, right in the waist. So, uh, how do you glue that back? I would, um, Elmer's glue. No, I mean, well, you could, but it's not <laughs> probably not, not going to hold. Um, they put that stuff on with a special glue that kind of melts the plastic. Oh it, yeah. As it works. Uh huh. It's like model airplane cement. I think I think Duco Cement is the uh, the brand name uh, of the most famous one. They also make I, I think Stuart McDonald makes one called Bind All. But once the guitar is finished and painted, that stuff is is the devil to work with because it's real gloopy, it's thick, mm-hmm. and it's going to eat the finish if you get any on the finish. So what I would use uh, is is thin cyanoacrylate. Also known as super glue. Super glue. I would use medium or thin viscosity super glue, but you got to be really careful because you get that any uh, on the finish, and and you got problems too. So, well, there you that. go. Yeah. Well, thanks, Mike. Hi, Eric. Love the podcast. I'm a boutique guitar and uke builder near Los Angeles. After many years of successful avoidance, I am now using hot hide glue on my current builds in full anticipation that it will make a glorious improvement in sound. My question is, when building a new acoustic guitar, on which parts do you prefer to use hot hide glue? Braces and dovetail joint, of course, but how about plate jointing, kerfing, head and tail blocks, fretboard to neck, binding? Just curious on where you find the best balance of glue types. Thanks in advance for taking time to advise. That's Mark from Mark in LA, and his website is www.dawsophone.com. D-A-W-S-O yeah. phone. Mark Dawson, and he's... he's Call, oh, he's I calling see. his guitars Dossophone, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I like that. Well, Mark, I love the question, but I'm the wrong guy to ask. I don't make acoustic guitars. If you had to repair some curving or, or the head and tail blocks, fretboard to neck. It, if it's a vintage guitar, uh, I use hide glue everywhere I can. Well, there you go. I mean, I feel like that's... That's yeah. as good as answer as any. It, well, that's that's what I try to do. Um, <clears throat> but you know the the big joints that are going to make the biggest difference are neck joint, bridge, bridge pad, and top braces. Cool. I mean, that's you know th- those are the important ones. Um, by the way, I I was talking to my uh, my buddy Andrew who came over from Boise and picked up some guitars. He had asked last podcast about why does Martin even have a custom shop? Mm-hmm. Like, aren't their guitars good enough already? They don't need a custom shop. And I thought, well, maybe the custom shops are done with hide glue. But apparently they're not. Mm. He looked into it and he told me that it's an option, but it's like an it's like an extra grand if you, if you want the guitar made with hot hide glue. Uh, that it's it's extra. Wow. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. But apparently it is an option. So, and that makes sense. It's a lot more... Labor intensive. It, well, it's difficult. It's more difficult yeah. it's to, to work with that because it sets so fast. Mm-hmm. You really have to hurry when you're working with it because you have to work with it hot. And once it starts cooling down, it just turns into gum, you know? Yeah. If you don't, if you don't have it set right. Well, there you go. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Hey, Eric and Melissa, thanks again for the fantastic podcast. And FYI, I really enjoyed the amp-related content. Oh, thanks. Though I do enjoy the Truth About Vintage Amps podcast. I've been listening to the Fret Files for almost five years, so you guys came first. We did. It's true. <sighs> it's thanks. So nice I to love hear. that podcast. Skip Simmons is great, man. The Truth About Vintage Amps fretboard journal. Do you think, Skip Simmons and Jason Verlindy. Do you think he listens to us? No, I do not. I don't think he listens to any podcasts, Skip. He sounds like an old curmudgeon that I'd like. He He's... Uh, I wouldn't call him a curmudgeon. He's definitely an old school guy who's got one of those personalities that is just very um, endearing 
right? Like you. And he's got, he's just full of knowledge, right? Like people write in and ask questions about a tube, and he gives recipes and, um, you know, car advice and and uh, how to raise your kids, you know. We should be mixed his best in, friend. Mixed in with amp tech advice. It's great. It's a great podcast. Where is he? It's gold. He's in California somewhere. We should be best friends with him. But, you know, good California, not that southern weird part. He's in, like, you know, middle California, somewhere there. Oh, okay. My question is regarding a 90s Japanese Fender Jerry Donahue signature Telecaster. Remember Donahue's talk show? Oh, yeah. That was great. It has some... What? <laughs> You're too young. <laughs> you don't know a guy named Donahue who had a talk show? No. Wow, that was be- that was before your time, I guess. A lot of things were before my time. Uh, it has some fret issues, and I believe it's getting near time to refret the guitar. Dif- different Donahue, by the way. Jerry Donahue is. A- I was talking about Phil Donahue. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, this guy has a Phil Donahue signature Telecaster. Jerry. Yeah. Hi, Jerry. It's getting near time to refret the guitar. I like the sound of the guitar a lot, but I wonder if it would be worth the cost of a refret, or would I be smarter to look for a new neck? It seems that you can get a brand new neck for almost the same price of a refret. If I were to look for a new neck, are there differences between the Japanese fenders and the U.S.-made fenders regarding the bolt placement, etc.? Thanks, as always. Keep up the great work. Kurt from Seattle. Thanks, Kurt. Uh... He he likes the sound of the guitar a lot, but is it worth the cost of a refret? I I think so. Those '90s Japanese uh, Fender tellies are cool. I've owned several, and I like them. And here's the thing: that guitar now is um, you know 30 years old almost. And if you, um, it, it's like a it's like an old you know worn in baseball glove right right you change the neck of that guitar it's going to completely change the feel of that guitar mm-hmm. now that's not to say refretting it is going to completely change the feel too but not as much as changing the neck would plus i kind of like to keep the package together so unless you don't like the neck i i don't see any reason to do that man i would absolutely i would absolutely steer you more towards getting it refretted than replacing the neck, unless there's some other reason why you don't even like the neck, or if you want to go from rosewood to maple or something like that. But, you know, if you like the neck, absolutely get it refretted. Cool. That's what I would say. Was there another uh, question in there? I don't think so. Was there? And I just didn't think about it. Oh, if uh, are there differences regarding oh. bolt, bolt placement between Japanese and U.S. made fenders? There might be. I mean, <clears throat> you never know what it, in, until you go to try to line it up. And people ask me stuff like that all the time. Like I'm like I know off the top of my head what it, you know exactly is going to line up and, and not. Um, I don't know because you're, you're going to end up with with um, two unique things that they are more than likely going to line up. I'd say the odds are very, very, very good that they will line up. Mm-hmm. But I've seen two fender products that don't work together neck and body certainly happens so hmm cool yeah thanks kurt hey eric what's your take on hardtail strats as a tele player i would reckon that you'd prefer those over the standard tremolo strats that's that's absolutely true okay also you've talked to jay and trevor from emerald city guitars on your podcast about the next gem on the vintage market i think that jay mentioned 70s fender guitars among those who could fetch the higher prices in the future what's your take on 70s fender strats strats and tellies obviously i'm biased owning two early 70s specimen each but many people complain about weight and hardware etc both of my guitars are fairly lightweight and I find that they have something special to them. Thanks again for fixing my telly and for the entertaining podcast. That's uh, Cheers, Sebastian. Thanks, Sebastian. And he says, P.S. Okay. Do you want me to read the P.S.? Well, I was going to comment on that. So, 70s Fenders, some of them are great. Uh, <clears throat> there, There's things that changed, like, you know, 4-bolt to 3-bolt. Uh, the 
the cutaway contours on the Strat aren't as deep, you know, so there's some differences. But what I've found in general is that they're less consistent. So 70s fenders um, are less consistent. You look at 50s fenders or even 60s, especially early 60s fenders, they're more consistent from one to the next quality-wise and playability, you know. What happens by the 70s is you get some that are just kind of dogs. More, and it happens more often than it did earlier. So they're more hit and miss, but mm-hmm. there, there are good ones. They're just harder to find. And overall, I would say the quality is not as nice. Like there's little things like, for example, they went, you know, the earlier ones had hand-wound pickups. By the time you get into 70s, they were machine-wound so there's little differences like that that I'll add up. But um, for the price, if you can find a good one, 70s fenders are a bargain. Yeah. Uh, P.S. Just listened to one of your Fret Files episodes in which you pretty much said that all of those special taper pots are B.S. I very much disagree with that. Of course, I have to because I'm selling some at www.vintageinspiredpickups.com slash VI pots, VI pots. But for people who aren't always playing with their controls all the way up, the taper and torque makes much of a difference. I could go into lengths describing why I went through all the trouble of designing a pot, finding a company who would make it for me at a price that is still affordable, but but a lot of people I highly respect, not for them, sit at home in their pajamas, guys, agree that the pot does make a difference when you use it, that is. Our Fender Spec Pots just went into production and I was thinking about sending you a set for Strat and Telly for you to test. Are you interested? Sure, sure. I mean, I'd love to try them out. Um, Yeah, to me, the taper, I I can understand if you want to get OCD about it. I totally get that. For me, um, and I do play with my volume pot quite a bit, uh, but like if you, if you graph out the taper of, of, a just a modern off the shelf CTS pot and compare that to some, you know, 1950s Clarostat pot or something, they're, they're a little bit different, but what it adds up to is, uh, it just, it just changes the way that the volume goes from zero to 10. So if I go and turn my knob down just a little bit and it wasn't enough, then I just turn it a little bit more. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. And my muscle memory, turning my volume knob isn't good enough that I'm not like a robot where I can, you know, exactly hit the volume where I need to be. I'm just playing with it kind of all the time sometimes. So um, to me, the taper is not as important as quality and feel. I want high quality pots that are going to last and I like them to feel nice as you turn them back and forth. The only time taper starts to bug me is if you get way off in the weeds with like a a linear taper pot because those those taper way differently. Hmm. But if they're similarly tapered, it's not a deal breaker for me. That's just me. Right. There's there's a lot of dudes who are super into vintage taper pots and they think it really makes a difference but it doesn't make a tone difference it doesn't make a a, it's not a quality difference it's just in it and with your pot all the way up it doesn't make any difference it's just if you play with the volume knob a lot the taper just means that it's slightly different as you turn it up and down right right so and if you're into that then god bless you you know i mean it's great right on Thanks, Sebastian. And I don't think, I don't think I said that the the uh, special taper pots were BS. What I think is BS is when guys basically take just plain old CTS pots, and then instead of the six dollars retail that they usually cost, they want to charge twenty six dollars for them, and they say, "Oh, these were made to our special specifications, and they're way better." Well, are they? Because I I just don't understand why you think that the same factory that's making the nice quality $6 pot is somehow made a $26 pot that 
is going to be that much better. And I just, I, there's just too many guys like that on the internet that are, and people buy into it, you know, it's, it's just not my thing. Hi, Eric. I saw your beautiful 50s Supro Belmont that you are selling on Reverb. What is your opinion of these instruments in general? They are Chicago made, right? Are they good quality? Are they fussy? Do they have truss rods? How do the pickups sound? Thanks, Jeremy. Uh, they're cool. I mean, Supros are, yeah, they're Chicago made. The 50s, they have a weird, they have kind of an interesting neck joint where the, the neck never flattens out. It's just, it's a, it's conical all the way to the end of the neck and then it sits inside a a, a semicircle neck joint oh interesting yeah it is really interesting with like sometimes like two bolts holding it there you know mm-hmm. but what's cool about that is once the neck is tight it doesn't shift at all it won't shift at all because it's in oh yeah it, it's a it's a half circle in a half circle pocket that fits perfectly yeah they're kind of interesting that way um, they're cool guitars. They have they're they're unique, you know. It, it, I would they're they're one of those vintage guitars that um they can be quirky. Maybe some would say fussy. If you want to, if you if you go to try one and you expect it to play like a Paul Reed Smith or something, you're going to be disappointed. Um, they're they're a guitar that's going to fight you a little bit more. Frets are small. Um, action's usually a little higher. They don't have adjustable truss rods, although they do have reinforcement, mm. you know, mm-hmm. reinforcing rods in the neck. Uh, but they're cool. They're unique. Uh, I, it sounds like I'm trying to sell that guitar, but I'm not. I already, I already sold it. Oh, so it's not on reverb anymore. Then. It's no longer on reverb. Reverb reposted that guitar on their Instagram. And that was another Whoa. thing that blew up my Instagram feed. Wow. Yeah. That's rad. They're cool guitars. Cool. I noticed the truss rod cover on my Taylor is unfinished rosewood, and it looks like it's pretty dried out. Should I oil it with fingerboard oil like I use on the fingerboard and bridge? Is there any reason I should not do this? I don't want it to crack, but I also, but it also might look nicer and darker if I oil it. Just wondered if you ever thought about this. Thanks, Russ. Uh, I don't know, Russ. Of all the things that don't matter, this doesn't matter the most. Just oil it. Russ, just just oil it. <laughs> uh no, to be perfectly honest with you, I actually when they do when they look at when they look dried out, I do put a little fingerboard oil on them. But I've never seen one crack because it got too dry. Uh not I've, yet. I've seen them crack because people tighten the screws down too tight. Oh yeah. But you know, it's not it, it's it's an easily replaceable little tiny piece of wood that is just not a big deal, man. Just Oil it if you want, but yeah, it's not going to change anything if you skip it. All right. Thanks, Russ. Does a neck with a flatter radius, like a 10-inch radius, feel bigger than the same neck with a vintage-style 7.25-inch radius, even though they are both the same thickness? I suppose flatter radius has the flatter radius has more wood mass. Would that make a neck feel fatter? Thanks. Ryo. Rio? Ryo. Ryo. Thanks, Ryo. Uh, no, I, th- yeah. Two necks that are the same thickness are going to, f- are going to feel the same thickness. A 10 inch radius and a seven and a quarter inch radius will, will f- make the neck feel slightly different, but they shouldn't, f- one shouldn't feel thicker than the other. I don't think that, I don't think they're going to, f- one's going to feel thicker than the other. Is it a, it- it's a noticeable difference, though, right? That seems like a pretty big radius difference. Well, um, it's it's a difference. It depends on the player. Are they going to notice it? Yeah. Uh, you know, I might play it for 10 minutes before I even noticed. I don't know. I would notice fret size before I noticed radius. But, you know, you can usually kind of, if you're used to spotting it, you can usually eyeball it and kind of see what it see what it is, but... I have radius gauges, you know, but half the time I I look at a neck and guess like, oh, this looks like a 10 inch radius. And then I'll put my gauge on it and lo and behold, it's 12, you know. So it's not always easy to tell um, just to pick up a guitar and just guess what the radius is. Um, 
So it's a lot more subtle than neck thickness, neck profile, fret size, but it does affect how the guitar plays, and some people have real strong opinions on what they prefer and what they don't, but I don't think most players even probably know what the radius of their favorite guitar is. Hmm. Yeah. That does it for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and uh, if you want to participate in the show, you should do so. Go to ericdaw.com. That's my website, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link. Submit your question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Call or text 757-774-8482. We'll use that as part of the show. Thanks. We'll talk to you next time. Good night. Good night.